Wow, that was great. That's the third time I've heard that song. I'll look forward to I heard it at our graduation, heard it in the first service, and now when we're in heaven and I hear that, Sigali Gama, Wakima, I'll be like, that's the Kenyans. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Or the crowd, right? So, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. It's a great day. Marie Catherine Booz was 29 years old and had just come out of a bitter, broken marriage. She married this man to get away from her mother, had a seven-year-old daughter, but her husband was an alcoholic and a liar, and after years, the marriage crumbled, and here she was, a single mom trying to raise a daughter. She really didn't have a whole lot of occupational skills to make a living, and in her desperation, she read the Bible and listened to messages and read books and sought the Lord. She worked at Mobile Oil in Paulsboro, Pennsylvania. She just was a mail deliverer, just go around to the offices. And she came into the office of an older man by the name of Marshall, who was 50 years old at the time. And um, over time, they kind of struck up a friendship. Now, bear in mind, she's 30. And eventually, he asked her out on a date. And when they went out on the date, they had a great time, but she asked how old he was, and he said, well, I'm 50, and remember, she's 30 at this time. So he never called her back. So she thought, hey, I had a good time with that guy. I'll give him a call, so she did. And she said, hey, I had fun. Why didn't you call me back? He said, well, I figured once I told you I was 50, you wouldn't be interested in me. But he was interested in her. They ended up getting married, and two years later, this knucklehead was born. And I am so thankful for my mom because um, my dad was 52 when I was born. So for those of you Abrahams like that, it was kind of like having a granddad. And he, he was a good man, but he disengaged right from the beginning. He had told my mom, he said, if you want to have kids, it's fine. But I've already done that. His, his daughter was about my mom's age. And um, so my mom did what she could. And without a... a, a a firm discipline to back her. Um, and because I was what the book of Proverbs calls a fool, I put my mom through great, great grief. And um, she stuck with me. She loved me. She did everything she could. Um, I was a, a mess. She even took me to the police once to try to get them to arrest me. Um, and they laughed at her. Um, but anyway, I, I look back and I'm so grateful that my mom patiently pointed me to Christ. And at, at the age of 17, just out of the blue, I was just a mess dealing drugs. And somebody said, hey, you want to go to church? And I was like, yeah. And God just drew me to himself. I came to church like this, started reading the Bible, became born again. And my life was transformed by the Lord. And I look back and I'm so thankful. Later on, I was my mom's pastor. I had a chance to baptize her and just a wonderful, wonderful woman she was. Great memories of my mom. All of us, her children and grandchildren, celebrate her. But this morning on Mother's Day, some of you, well, we have mixed emotions. Some of you, your mother died when you were young. Others, um, a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. Some of you might not even know your mother. Some of you would love to be a mother but haven't had that opportunity. And I, and I can imagine that that must be very painful. But it's Mother's Day, and we thank God for mothers. We're grateful 
that when God created Adam and Eve, that he created Eve, the mother of all living. There's a new statistic that came out recently that said if your parents don't have children, neither will you. So that's going <laughs> to continue. But since everyone is here by God's grace through a mother, let's take a moment. If you're mad at your mom, if she's passed, if you haven't forgiven your mom, if your mom was dysfunctional, no elbowing, please, especially if your mom's here. But um, <laughs> forgive your mom. Thank God for your mom. And I want to ask that all of our mothers that are here today, would you stand up? We just want to thank you corporately. Stand up, moms. All right, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 21. If you're visiting with us, you're very welcome to join us. We have extra Bibles. We'll be glad to give you a Bible if you would like. We don't make any bones about the fact we believe the Bible is God's word, and it is incredibly helpful. It's the truth, and whether you or I believe it or not, it will transform you. It's powerful, life-changing, and it always points us to Christ. I'm also grateful that this week I was blessed. Tammy and I are so thankful that we have a new grandbaby. This is Bethany's fourth. She was born on Tuesday. Aspen Grace, and um, they're like, wow, we're, this would be the last one. I said, wait, no, don't say that. My son-in-law said, who will pay for them? I said, I will. So <laughs> I'm a big proponent of lots of kids. So Tim will be coming to collect from me soon, I'm sure. <laughs> so this morning, we're looking at the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We're talking about the story of Israel in the wilderness, God's people wandering. And we said that this story is is sort of a narrative in which we're like them. We have left this world of darkness and sin. To be a Christian says, I turn my back on the world, and now I'm headed for the promised land, and I'm looking to Christ to lead me, and I'm with a group of people around me, and we have our ups and downs, and we're in a battle because Satan does not want you to finish. He does not want you to be a forgiven follower, a disciple of Christ. And so we're in Numbers chapter 21. We're near the end of their wandering now. Remember, they've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And I want to show you just a map to kind of give you an idea. They, they now are just south of this map here. And they are going to come up the east side of the Jordan River. And then they're going to cross the Jordan River and enter into the Promised Land. And that's going to be this city, this, this country that God has promised them, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want to get something out of the way here. Some people, when they first hear this story, they go, that's, that's mean. That's like what we did to the Native Americans. We just came and killed them and took their land. Well, I think that was mean. But I don't think what happened here is the same thing. You see, 400 years before this, God had told Abraham when he first came into this land, you're going to go down to Egypt for 400 years. You can read this in Genesis 15. He said, because the people who live here, the Amorites are wicked, but their iniquity is not yet full. But when we read the history of the people that lived in this land, they were atrociously evil. The things that they did to one another, to their children. And so God has a point of no return where he decides to judge a people group, all of them. Just remove them from the face of the earth. And so the iniquity of the Amorites had become full, and it was time for God to judge them. And he was giving this land to his people. 
But on the way up, we read the story of how the Israelites encountered two great kings, Og, the king of Bashan, and Sion of the kingdom of Sion. And so notice where Moab is. Right below here, we have Edom. Last week, we saw Edom said, you can't cut through our land. But on this tail end of the journey, they're going to go up there near the Sea of Galilee. Moses is going to go up on a mountain and die. But there's an interesting thing that takes place in this chapter. And so I want you to join me as we begin to read in verse 1. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, then he fought against Israel and he took some of them captive. Now, what do you do when you're in trouble? Sometimes we, we cry out to God. We say, God, if you get me out of this, if you help me through this, I promise I'll never swear again or I'll go to church every Sunday. I want to encourage you to consider that. That's not necessary. But if you do promise God to deliver you or do something for you, then keep your word. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord heard the voice of Israel, and he delivered up the Canaanites, and then they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Thus the name of that place was called Hormah, and that word means devoted to destruction. Now, I feel like I'm playing another song with the same stanza. Oop, one too many. It says in verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Hor, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of their journey. Now the King James says they became discouraged. And being a Christian is not easy. Jesus said the way is narrow. Few are those who find it. Following Christ is a battle. That's why most people don't want to do it. They love the world in the easy way. And it's awful easy to become discouraged, impatient, and to complain. And one of the marks of a Christian, the Bible says, do everything without grumbling or complaining that you may prove yourself to be innocent, children of God, blameless, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so it is a challenge as we face life's trials to not be like the world and to get bitter at God and blame everybody else and complain about our country, complain about the weather, complain about our neighbors, complain about our job, complain about our spouse, on and on the cycle goes. And so they began to complain again. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we load this miserable manna. And unfortunately, there are too many parents today who's put the oatmeal down and the children are like, I don't want oatmeal. Oh, okay, Junior, want your Cocoa Krispies? Or, you know, what can I make you? God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And God had reached a point where he's like, enough's enough. I'm going to spank these people because I love them. And if you're a Christian, remember that that's part of the, the narrative of being a Christian. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if we won't listen when he speaks, he'll spank. He'll sting us. He'll get our attention. But it's always out of love to bring us to a place of surrender and trust and obedience. So verse 6 says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Now the word fiery is the Hebrew word seraph, from which we get the word seraphim. And it's debated, were they fiery looking, or were they fiery because of the sting of their poison? But whatever it was, they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now we read in the book of Deuteronomy, there are a lot of snakes in the wilderness anyway. And if there's one thing you don't want snakes around is when you're camping. Right? Those of you that are Boy Scouts used to dig a trench 
around your tent to keep snakes from getting in. And we're not talking about one or two snakes. Thousands of people died getting bit by snakes. Probably everybody had a family member who had died. Everywhere you're walking, every time you lay down, you're looking for poisonous snakes. This was a very painful discipline from God. And as is often the case, when God gets our attention and he pulls the rug out from us, we look for help. We turn to him. And so the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you and intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And I want you to note here that this is a paradigm for all of us. When you mess up and you know you've messed up and when I know I've messed up and God deals with me, I don't need to make a million excuses and blame everybody else. It's very freeing to just say, I've sinned, to repent, to change, to surrender. And so they acknowledge their sin. And the, the Bible tells us that God is full of mercy to those who are contrite of heart. God doesn't beat us when we repent. He deals with us in mercy. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, now this is weird. He says, here's what we're going to do. Make a, a fiery serpent. Set it on a standard, which is a pole. He's going to tell them, make a bronze serpent on a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And you go, hmm, serpent on a pole. Seems like I've seen one of them before. Well, if you're familiar with medicine, you remember the, the serpent of, and I can never remember his name, Asclepolis or whatever it is. It's not the hypocritical oath that they take later, but just kidding. Um, and then later on, remember the serpent in the south, don't tread on me. Well, all of this idea of a serpent on a pole comes from God. It was his idea. And so he says, no matter where you are, if you get bit, just come and look and live. Now, there was about a million people in the wilderness, so you didn't have the snake in your backyard. Some people had to travel a long way. But if you were bit, there was no serum. There was only a stick with a snake. And you come and you look, and you're healed. And that has so much of the Lord Jesus in it, and we'll come back to this later. But it says, as Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, it came about if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. They looked, and they lived. That doesn't seem that complicated, right? They didn't have to write a thousand times on a tablet, I will not complain. They looked, and they lived. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped in Oboth, and they journeyed and camped at Lyabram in the wilderness, which is opposite Moab to the east. So the people, oh, man, alive. And Moses made a bronze serpent. Remind me to get the other one. The last week they said, can I give you the other one? And I should have said yes. It's not, it's not their fault. I, I, there's two different ones. From there they set out, camped in the Wadi Zered. From there they journeyed and camped on the other side of the Arden, which is in the wilderness between Moab and the Amorites. So they're working their way up. But listen, Satan is never just going to roll over and say, here, have, have, have it. He's going to fight us. He's going to resist you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to try to discourage you. He's going he's to use his fiery darts. He's going to lie to you. He's, gonna, he's going to bring stress into your life. And we should expect that as Christians. We're in a battle. But the Lord is fighting for us, and we have the armor of God. And so as, the, as they come to this, this place of war, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wadi and Supheth and the wadis of the Arnhem and the slope of the wadis that extends to the site of Ar leads to the border of Moab. And you go, 
the book of the wars of the Lord. Don't believe I've read that one. Is that a bestseller? There's not, there's not a whole lot we can say about this because no one really knows for sure what book this is. It's mentioned. In the book of Exodus, we do learn that the first time they had a war against the Amalekites, God told Moses and Joshua in Exodus 15, write this in a book. So apparently Moses had a diary. It wasn't inspired scripture, but it was a book of the victories that the Lord has won. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, what if you were to write a book of the victories the Lord has won for you? Just go back in your mind. Go back and, and think about one that you remember. Can you think of one? Perhaps among many that my wife and I can think of, perhaps our most powerful story was the story of our son Jordan who lost his way as a teenager, became a heroin addict, and, and he doesn't mind me telling this, but it brought unspeakable sorrow and pain to us and, and blame and, and division. How do you handle this? And, and, and we had to put him out of our home and, and every time the phone rings, is it the morgue, is it the cops? Oh my word, the tears, the brokenness. The, the wondering, will he ever? When do they hit rock bottom? What's the best rehab? There's no best rehab until they want to change. But through many prayers and God's comfort and mercy and his grace, fast forward about 10 years to the age of 27 and Jordan was gloriously transformed. People see him today, they go, that's not the same boy. And it's not the same boy. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. And a verse that carried us during that time when I couldn't even cry anymore, I was spent didn't even know how to pray. It was Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And if you're discouraged this morning, think about the things God has done for you in the past. Think about the things he's done for others and realize what a great God we have. And the Apostle Paul said it this way. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph through our Lord Jesus Christ. From there, they continued to beer. Now stop it. Not that kind of beer. That is the well where the Lord said to Moses, assemble the people that I may give them water. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this well, but I want you to think about if you read the Bible, wells become sort of a, a theme in the Bible. Isaiah 12 speaks of drawing with joy from the well of salvation. Jesus sat by the woman at the well. And there's this divine human engagement in which they dug the well but God gave them the water and so they sang this song spring up mo well sing to it who sings to a well but I ask you this morning do you sing do you do you sing you, you do I, I I've been beside you in the in the intersection I have no idea what you were singing but you were singing but have you learned as a Christian that in this wilderness, the songs are what sustain us. The songs are the way we express our joys and our sorrows to our Savior. And I would encourage you to sing to the Lord. I don't care if it's rap, hip-hop, rock, classical, hymns. Just let it be godly. Let it be songs that will point you to Christ. Let it be songs that are substantial but I want you to notice that this is the song of the well. And I'm going to suggest that for us 
This is a reminder of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives to which we'll come back at the end. From the wilderness, they continued to Matanah, to Nahaliel, to Bamoth, to the valley that is in the land of Moab at the top of Pisgah. Now make a note of Pisgah. We're going to come there later. That's where Moses dies. That's up in the northern part of Israel where they looked across and Moses wanted to go into the land and he had to, to die there and God hid his body and buried him on Mount Pisgah, which overlooks the wasteland. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites. Let us pass through your land. We won't turn off into field or vineyard. We won't drink water from wells. We'll go by the king's highway till we've passed through your border. But Sion would not permit Israel to pass through his border. So he gathered all his people and he went out against Israel in the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. It's really interesting. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 3, as Moses rehearses this, he adds something really interesting. He says, God hardened Sion's heart to come out and fight against Israel. And I want to remind you something. You turn the news on, you're going, I never saw anything like it. Who would have thought that in North Korea we'd have a treaty? Who would have known that we'd have an embassy in Jerusalem? Who would have known that we'd have a civil war in Syria? Who would have known that for over 200 years this United States of America, this democratic experiment would last this long? But it's really important for us as Christians to remember that the Lord reigns. And he raises up the nations and he brings them down and he does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth. And there is no king, no president, no sovereign, no dictator that does anything apart from God's unfolding of his plan. In fact, Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as a river of water, he turns it wherever he pleases. And that's why we are called to pray. We need to pray for what's going in Syria. People are dying. Pray for what's going in North Korea. Pray for the nations. Pray for the gospel to spread. And recognize as we're watching all these politics unfolding, he who sits in the heavens laughs. God scoffs at them. He's already appointed that the Messiah will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But during this short window that we have on earth, we're called to reach the nations, disciple the nations, preach the gospel, and pray and give, because one day the Lord Jesus is coming back. And then Israel struck him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Jabbok as far as the Ammon. Israel took all the cities, and Israel lived in the cities, for Heshbon was the city of Sion who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. You just don't know, do you? Can you imagine the Russians overtaking America, the Chinese defeating us? Why, heavens no, that could never happen. God bless America. We're his anointed nation. Please stop talking. And the king of Moab, he was sitting pretty. He had it all until the king of the Amorites took it out of his hand. And that's just something to remember here. God hasn't made any pledge to America that we're going to be here forever, that Christianity is going to be free and safe. And if you're clinging too, too much to your stuff, remember that possessions can be fleeting. I don't think Moab had any idea that the Amorites were going to come and take his stuff away. In fact, 
They told a story about it. Those who use this proverb say, come to Heshbon, let it be built. So let the city of Sion be established. For a fire went forth from Hethbeth, a flame from the town of Sion. It devoured Ar of Moab, the dominant heights of the Oren. Woe to you, O Moab. You're ruined, O people of Chemosh. He's given his sons as fugitive and his daughters into captivity. To an Amorite king, Sion. But we have cast them down. Heshbon is ruined as far as Diban. Then we've laid waste the Nophah, which reaches to Medeba. And we're going, what? Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. Who's on first? The Moabites had the land. The Amorites took it from the Moabites. And now the Israelites took it from the Moabites. And Moses sent out to spy Jezreel, and they captured its villages, dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned, they went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for battle at Edrei. Og was better than Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole town. The book of Deuteronomy says his bed was nine foot. He was a big, bad dude. But the Lord, he says, why do you fear man? His breath is in his nostrils. The Lord said to Moses, don't fear him. I've given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites who lived at Heshbon. So they killed him and his sons and the people. There was no remnant left him, and they possessed his land. How many times have we read that in the Bible? Don't fear. What are you afraid of today? Death? The grim reaper coming and saying, it's your turn, you got cancer. Don't fear him. Hebrews chapter 2 says, the son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil and to free those who through captive were held all their lives in the fear of death. You fear the Lord Jesus and trust him, you don't need to fear death. You say, yeah, but I, but I, but I fear the death of my loved ones, my children. I get it. But our God is good. They're not our children. They're Jesus' children. Are you afraid of your finances? Afraid of your marriage falling apart? Afraid of politics? What are you afraid of? Christians should be humble and fearless. Not because we're a big deal, but because we have a big Savior. Jesus would look at disciples in the boat. He goes, why are you so afraid? What an encouragement. I just read in Isaiah this week. Don't be afraid, O Jacob. When you walk through the, the fire, you won't be burned. When you go through the river, I will be with you. Whatever you're going through today, don't fear. Trust. Rest in the Lord. He's got this. He's got this. Oop. The Lord said to Moses, don't fear him. So they killed them and possessed the land. I want to focus on two things for a few moments as we close. I want to start with the well. Spring up, O well. The Lord Jesus said this in John chapter 7. He said, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And there's this divine message in the Bible that nothing will satisfy us apart from a relationship with Christ. And if you don't believe that, Look at the people who have everything. The movie stars, the famous athletes. They've got money and everything you could think of, and, and they're falling apart, except for the eagles, right? Because they gave their lives to Christ. And Jesus said, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. 
And thus he spoke of the Spirit. And I want to remind you, my brothers and sisters, this is a blessing to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But for some of you, that, that living water is dammed up by the beavers of sin, by the mosquitoes of indifference. And I want to urge you to sing to the well. Surrender to the Lord and pray, dear God, pour out a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in power. Yeah, I know it's, 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 it's weird. It's a, it's a, it's a paradox. It's, it's strange that in my weakness, I'm strong. But we've got rivers of living water in us. We've got the Spirit of God indwelling us. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, you're missing out. You're just existing. Jesus came to give us life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and self-control. And a Spirit-filled people. Wow! People come, and they drink freely. And so I want you to be praying for our church that the Lord will Will, will fill us. We're Riverstone. Of all churches, Riverstone should be a fountain of life, a fountain of healing, a fountain of hope. Not just here, but in Syria with addicts and broken marriages and people that are gender confused and people whose lives are, 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 are whether it's our well-to-do neighbors who have everything and are empty, or the poor street homeless person who has nothing and is lost. Pray that this church will flow with rivers of living water and that people will find life. That's what we need in America. Folks, this nation is in trouble. And Donald Trump's not going to save us. We need the Lord. And we need churches that are surrendered to the Spirit of God. And he's powerfully at work. And he's healing us. And he's flowing through us to minister to others. But as we close, you know, that was weird, the stirping on the stick. All of that so that Jesus could do this. Many, many years later, when Jesus was on earth, he said in John chapter 3, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you weren't here on... Good Friday, Pastor John preached a powerful message on this. I asked him where it was, but it's gone. We didn't record it. But it's here in the text. It's here in the Bible. And what a beautiful parallel because sin will bite you. Sin will kill you. But Christ will heal you. And just as Moses lifted up that serpent and people just looked and lived, that's, that's what the gospel's all about. Jesus was lifted up on that cross and he took all my poison. He took my brokenness. He took my pride, my selfishness, my lust. And he took it all in his body and he drank the cup of God's wrath. 
And he absorbed all of that poison. And he shed his blood out, the Lamb of God, so that I could be freely and fully forgiven. And all I got to do is look and live. Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, was a young man, went in a little church, and a country preacher was preaching from Isaiah. Look to me all the ends of the earth and be ye saved. And that became his mantra, look and live. And I love, I love to lift up Jesus and point people to him. Look and live. If you're religious but you're not a believer, you're poison. If you're a godless pagan who could care less about God, you're poison too. But Christ will heal you if you look and believe and live. You know God's word, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God loves you and he loves me. But he hates sin. He loved us so much that he gave Christ his only son. And there it is. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. That means go to hell. Do you want to go to hell? Then just keep doing what you're doing if you're not a believer. But do you want to have everlasting life? Look and live. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, that sounds too easy. It wasn't easy for him. It cost him everything. But it's free to us. But there's a reason why people aren't flocking to Jesus in America. And I'll tell you what it's not. It's not because they've never heard the gospel of grace. For many of them, the issue is not intellectual. Oh, I don't know about it. It's volitional. I don't want to. Why would someone not want to come to Jesus and be forgiven and be saved and have everlasting life? Well, Jesus told us why. He who believes in Christ is not judged. He who doesn't believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me help you understand what it means to believe in Christ. It is not to simply go, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus. Yeah, I believe that. The devil believes that. To believe in Christ is to be convinced that he's my Lord and Savior who died, and I am willing to turn from my life of selfish independence and surrender in faith to follow him and to be forgiven and changed by him. The Bible calls it coming out of darkness into the light. Well, why wouldn't people want to do that? Well, here it is. This is the judgment that the light, Jesus, has already come into the world. Men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, that's why a lot of people don't want to be here on Sunday morning, because they like their life just as it is. And if we tell them, oh, guess what? You're going to have a Christless eternity. If that's all they hear, who cares? They lived a Christless life. But it's way more than a Christless eternity. How much sore punishment do you think God's going to pour out on people who reject his dear son who shed his blood on the cross for their salvation, and they ignore him. You don't have to be a crackhead or a drug addict to go to hell. You just have to resist Jesus. Yeah, but what will people think? What do I have to give up? Everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light for fear... That his deeds will be exposed. If you're not a Christian, 
If you're not willing to repent of your sins, what are you afraid of? What are you hiding? Just come to the light. It's not that hard, right? Just come to the light. All right, who do? Look and live. And here's what's so cool. God will change you. You just have to be willing. You put your trust in Christ, and he will turn your life around. And all of us have done that. We're not a bunch of perfect people. We're sinners, but we've come into the light. And my brothers and sisters, if you're in the light and you're a believer, please do this. Please pray that we practice the truth, that we live as people in the light. And if there's anything different about us that's good or godly or, or virtuous or Christ-like, we don't take the credit. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I'm up here preaching not because I'm religious, but because God saved my pitiful soul and he gave me life. And if you're a Christian, your deeds have been wrought in God. And he's got more deeds for you to do. But some of you are Christians. You've come to the light. You're just not walking in the light. And I want to beg you to stop it. The Bible says, if we say that we walk in the light and we practice darkness, we deceive ourselves. And if you're living a double life and you're a believer, and you've you know, you, you got a whole different life during the week, that's not who you are. You're light in the Lord. The Bible says, have nothing to do with those unfruitful deeds of darkness. Wake up and walk in the light. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. But we have to surrender and follow and live in the light. Because every one of you has the opportunity to be a light. And to be living water. And to be a church hospital of healing for people. But as we close this morning, look at that phrase. He who practices the truth comes to the light. There has to come a time in your life where you decide to follow Jesus. No one can decide that for you. Where you decide to come into the light and say, here I am, Lord. You know all about me. And then to experience that wonderful gift of eternal life, that wonderful new birth. If you've already experienced that, would you please say amen? amen? That's all you got. If you've already experienced that, would you please say amen like you mean it? Amen. Thank God if you're born again. And if you're not, I'm going to invite you right now to come to Jesus and be saved. Because if not, you're going to look back on this day and say, if only, if only I listened to the Lord Jesus. And man, I'm excited about living water that's in your bellies. Let it flow. Let it flow. Live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're a mess without you. But with you, we can walk in the truth. We can walk in the light. There's no Humpty Dumpties that are so messed up that you can't put us back together again. And I pray that living water will flow to heal your people. That's what you do, Lord. You love us, but you hate darkness. And when your children dabble in sin, you sting us. And I pray that we will be quick to come to the cross of Christ.
Come, sinner, just as you are, and give your life to Christ. Tell him right now, Lord Jesus, I believe, I look. Forgive me, I'll follow you. And may the rest of us as a church, may we be filled with that living water. Father, spring up in this church a well, a well of hope, a well of joy, a well of healing. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. May we never stop looking to the cross. And may we never stop believing that in you we have everlasting life. Send out us this week to the world with prayers and giving and love to our children, our enemies, and to this lost world. Thank you for what you're doing. And we are excited about your power that will be unleashed through your people and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Tell someone if you came to the Lord today.